Every now and then I preach a sermon that I'm really nervous about, and Father's Day does that to me for some reason. We're in the middle of a, uh, a series on the book of James right now, and honestly, I would much rather just continue on with that series. But we want to celebrate dads today, and I'm going to share with you just three or four reasons real quick why, why it makes me nervous. And the first of it starts with a man with a terrible mustache, and it's this guy. And uh, you're probably familiar with Adam Sandler, and Adam Sandler, he makes me laugh a lot, but he also makes me cry. I don't know if you guys have seen his movie Click, but I just, I just sobbed like a baby at the end of that movie. And then, and then there's another one. Is it Big Daddy? Is that, is that what it's called? There's got a scene in it where he's in a courtroom with his dad, and his dad is grilling him, and, and, and he basically says, Dad, I know you love me, and that's why you're here, and I love you too. And I'm just, Adam <laughs> Sandler, even your mustache. I, I just, I have dad issues, and, and, and they're intense. Like, I don't know, petrol oil commercials can make me cry if it's something about a son and his dad loving each other. I'm just, I'm just a weepy dad guy. And so I'm a little afraid of becoming overly emotional in front of you today. And then there's some other reasons, but this was, this was my dad, and he's part of the reason that I have daddy issues in some sense. This was, this was Herman Lewis Hussman Jr., of which I gained my namesake. So he was Lou. My grandfather was Ham or Herman, and my dad was Lou, and they stuck me with HL, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> well, see, I, see, you're already hurting me on Father's Day. And my, my dad was just this hybrid of this really, really incredible fatherly figure that loved his family and a guy with some serious issues. He, he was a raging alcoholic. And so my, my, if you said quickly, name a memory of your dad, my first memory of him is him driving into a telephone pole in front of our house and knocking it over one night and waking up and being the laughingstock of the whole neighborhood because dad had knocked over this telephone pole because he was driving drunk one evening. And... and I remember all kinds of times. Uh, I, was, I was watching Uncle Briggs. Does anybody remember Uncle Briggs? Uncle Briggs was a show on in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. It was just goofy. And I was laying face, like belly down on the floor about this far from the TV one day, and he came in drunk. And I remember him picking me up by the belt and throwing me on the couch and saying, you're filling your head with crap, and you should be watching the news or something like that. And so I have these really negative memories. He, he, he used to come home so drunk that he would urinate in my, in, my, in my parents' closet because he couldn't figure out which one was the closet and which one was the bathroom. And, and it, I, like I, but, I, but there's a sense in me that wants to protect my dad, so I don't even want to tell you guys those stories. But I think it's, I think it's important that we're honest about what dads can be like and that, that even the best of dads probably have these, these dark sides to them. He was really sarcastic when he was drunk. I remember my mom telling him that one time she threw a dish at him and he ducked, and it smashed against the wall and sent glass everywhere. And he said, honey, did you drop something? And that's just, like, he, he, he wasn't a mean drunk, but he was really sarcastic and, and, and not, not super nice in, like, a passive-aggressive sort of way. But then I also have these memories of him taking me to Disney World and feeding, feeding seagulls that were flying overhead. He died when I was nine years old, so my memories are scattered. Um, I remember laying on his chest and him having a little bit of a sparsely hairy chest. And I don't remember how I know this, but I remember my hands on his chest as we would lay and watch TV together. And, and uh, I, he, he, he was a brilliant businessman. Uh, he, he owned Burger Chef restaurants, a miniature golf course, several bars. He was, he, was, he was an entrepreneur that made a lot of money and was really, really bad with money. One day he, he drove up to our home in the Indianapolis 500 pace car that he had purchased that day because he thought we needed a pace car around our house for some reason. It was a nice convertible, and he thought mom would enjoy it, right? 
Um, I remember at our miniature golf course, sweeping the greens was a huge part of what I had to do growing up because every single day you had to sweep the leaves and the acorns and nuts off, off of the off the greens at the miniature golf course that he built. And we were on the number five green, and the number five green was this big, massive brick arch that he had built that you had to putt over. And we were standing on it, and I, I lied to him that day about something. And I remember his speech. I don't remember the exact words, but his speech was, your word is everything, son. He said, he said if you lose your word, you'll lose your credibility with people. You'll lose your reputation. You have to learn to keep your word. And so I have these really... And, and that impacted me, and I've, I've since then, as far as I am aware, been, been a person that does my darndest to keep my word. Like, it impacted me. And in, so there were, there were family outings where he refused to drink because he wanted to be present and be there. And then there were outings where he was just blown out of his mind and kind of an embarrassment. And he was just this hybrid. So I have, I have these daddy issues, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid to talk about fatherhood and, and Father's Day for those reasons, because I don't, I don't know what I'm going to feel as I'm up here talking with you. I also want to talk about what I'm going to call the hegemonic pendulum of power, which is a, a way of saying, and I just want to cover this briefly, that when people are in power, and the history of mankind is a history of men being in power. It's, it's been a patriarchal society in almost every culture throughout history. And, and we're at a place now where women's rights are much stronger than they've ever been, and rightly so. Um, but we're also at a place, and what happens in hegemonic situations where the pendulum shifts in, in favor of another power is that the first power gets told many times to sit down and shut up. And it, it happens in race issues, it happens in cultures and societies, it happens in governments, and it happens in, in, in gender issues. And so, so we recognize that men have wrongly held power in certain ways throughout history. And the pendulum has shifted. And so what's happening now is that men are the safe target of jokes. Men, men are the safe target of the brunt of jokes. And so you can, you can, you can insult men, and that's kind of okay in our culture. And, and conversely is that if I build up men, if, if I talk about fathers or talk about the benefits of having a father in your life, there's something in our culture that bucks against that. So if I, say, if I stand up on Mother's Day and say women are rightly protectors of their children, everyone applauds and says, yes, good job recognizing moms. But if I say men are protectors of their children, nowadays our culture says, well, why didn't you mention the women? Why, why, why are you talking about men right now? Because of this hegemonic shift in power that's occurred. And so I want to kind of skirt around that a little bit today and just say that we can rightly talk about men and that men, men in some sense need to sit down a little bit, but it doesn't mean they need to sit down and shut up and vanish. And that's, that would be detrimental to society as well. And so we want to honor men. We want to honor dads. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we go. But if there's stuff that bucks against you today, just remember that, that there's a cultural shift that has occurred that's probably infiltrating your mind a little bit. And it's, it's, rightly allow, or it's wrongly allowing you to diminish individual men because men as a culture have shifted in power, if that makes any sense. And if it doesn't, look at this next slide and stay with me. Men have been told throughout history that they're supposed to be strong. Statistically, physiologically, men are physically stronger than women. That has never changed throughout history. And men as little boys, little boys are often told men don't cry and told not to cry, whereas girls are allowed to cry. That's, that, that hasn't shifted so much. There's like this softness or emotionality that that little girls are allowed, that little boys are often not. And I'm, I'm convinced that little boys ought to be able to feel the same way. And we're going to talk a little bit today about how men need to feel. And, and so some of it is going to buck against that idea that men are supposed to be strong. Now, there's, like, the, like the clip said, there's different types of bravery. There's different types of, of ways of being strong. But when we talk, So on Mother's Day, we stand up and we say, hey, if you've experienced loss in your life, we're with you. We feel you. If you've experienced separation between you and a, and a son or a daughter, we feel you. 
With men, for some reason, that, there, there's, like a, there's something in me that, that rubs against that a little bit, and it doesn't come as naturally. But what I'm saying is that we need to buck against that and say men need to feel those things. Men need to recognize the places they hurt. They need to dive into those areas that they feel pain, that they feel ostracized from their children, or they feel, feel like they didn't receive the love or the hugs or the hairy-chested touches from their father that they should have. We need to explore those things and let them out without fear that we're going to be recognized as unmasculine because we've done so. And then finally, there's some people in here that fatherhood and, or, or, or Father's Day doesn't, doesn't quite ring with you. You're, you're single, you don't have children, maybe your dad is out of the picture or in the picture and it's just healthy, and, and Father's Day is, is like something that isn't super on your radar. So how do you preach a sermon that touches all the different people in the congregation? And I think, I think we're going to do that as we go on, is that we're going to learn a lot about God as Father as we talk about what it means to be dadly. So when I'm talking about dadliness... You notice I didn't put fatherhood up there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to celebrate dads. We're going to talk about how, why dads are great for a moment. We're going to mourn with, mor- with dads that are mourning, and we're going to encourage dads that ought to be mourning to mourn a little bit, to feel something that maybe they've never felt. And then finally, we're going to learn the fat peas of paternal practice, and that will make sense as we go on. But first, I want to introduce you to the great philosopher Lawrence Fishburne. So, so Lawrence Fishburne... Who did he play? Who was his, like, his biggest role? Morpheus from The Matrix. And so you know he knows his stuff because he eventually became Morpheus. But he was in a movie. It's a 1980s movie. Anybody know a 1980s very popular movie that Lawrence Fishburne was in? Boys in the Hood. That's right. He was in Boys in the Hood. And in that movie, he says this quote. He says, any fool with certain body parts that I put as an ellipse can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. And so, again, we say a real man, well, we talk, suddenly toxic masculinity pops into it, and our culture bucks against what does it even mean to be a real man. Well, Lawrence Fishburne, in this movie, his name was Furious Styles, so you know he was on to something. I, 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 I've, I'm not having any more children. Like, I'm not having any more children. And I'm thinking, I should ha- I, I, like, we should get something reversed so that I can have another boy and name him Furious Styles now that I've recognized this name. But you know he knows his stuff, Right? And he's, he's saying that there's a difference between a father and a dad. And, and all over the country today, people are going to promote a myth that the Bible talks about that about God, that Abba, Father, means daddy, and it doesn't actually, so go look that up and just dispel that myth. But there's a difference between, people who, between men who invest in their children, who are present for their children, who provide, who protect, as we'll talk about the fat peas in just a minute, and the ones who don't. And we want to celebrate the ones that do. We want to celebrate the ones that hang in there, that make sacrifices for their children, that love their sons and daughters and treat them well and, and, and lay down their lives for them. We want to recognize dadliness today and what it, what it has meant to be a dad. And science tells us that dads are important, that when you, when you study the psychology of children, and these are from secular sources. This isn't you know, some, some Bible school theology book that I've been reading that tells you this about dads to promote an agenda or anything of the sort. Um, secularists and and religious folk all across the world throughout history have recognized the value of men being present in the lives of children. And just just as as an example, these are some of the things that you see, the difference you see between children who have a dad who is present, uh, who is a protector, who is a provider, and so forth, which again is not to diminish whether women can do those things. It's just saying that for some reason there's a correlation between men being present and not. Even, even my gay friends that have adopted children, so if they're lesbian couples or gay couples, they recognize the value, the science behind 
both sexes, both genders being represented in the raising of their children. So they will make other arrangements to have men around if they're lesbians or they'll have to have women around if, if they're gay men. And so across the board, secularist or, or religious or everywhere in between, recognize this is valuable. And so it's, it's just been shown to be valuable. And it's shown that, that kids that are raised without a father have a diminished self-concept and compromise physical and emotional security. In other words, they don't see themselves as well. They don't, they don't grow up thinking, I can do something with my life. And there are a lot of exceptions there. But what I'm saying is statistically less have this self-worth, self-value than, than those that do have a father around. It's just, it's just scientific reality. Um, in, 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 in children that grow up without, without fathers, you see behavioral problems, truancy, poor academic performance, delinquency and crime, including violent crime, and, and then all the things that we want to avoid for our children, teen pregnancy, drug and alcohol abuse, homelessness, exploitation and abuse, and the list goes on, anxiety, depression, even low income. There's, there's a correlation between men being present in, in a child's life and their income level later on in life and what they do uh, career-wise. And so then the question becomes, is correlation causation? So, so are these studies big enough to tell us that this is actually the problem, or are there a lot of other socioeconomic and social problems tied in? And what, what an article in Psychology Today says, that there's no, there's no question that the correlation does equate to causation, because when they correlate other factors, there's not near as large of, an, of, of a result. And so Edward Kruk, the, the doctor, says this. He says, given the fact that these and other social problems correlate more, listen, this is, this is the part that matters, more strongly with fatherlessness than with any other factor surpassing race, social class, and poverty, father absence may well be the most critical social issue of our time. In other words, all these things have been studied out correlating with race or poverty or other issues, and they found that fatherless, fatherlessness trumps all of them. And what that means is that dads are important. Dads are critical and crucial. And so if you're doing the job of a dad, you are doing an important job. Again, this doesn't mean that if you were raised without a dad that you're doomed to fail. It's not, it's not saying that. It's just saying across the board, statistically, there's a diminishment in these areas when fathers are involved. And so fathers, fathers are good. It's, uh, as to why, I don't know, but I somehow suspect that this picture ties in. I don't know. Now... Now, we, we, we want to we talk about dads and females and males and stereotypes and gender roles and so forth. And the reality is, I've never seen a woman carry her child like that. I have seen many men carry their child like that. Like, certain stereotypes are stereotypes because they have this ring of truth to them. And somehow, I, 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 this is my theory. This is just a postulate, okay? This is, not, this is not fact or anything I've studied out. I somehow think like this aggressive risk-taking that occurs in, in, even in play when it comes to father, it, fatherhood is probably important in a child's life. Is, so, and, and, and I, you know, there's times, I, I made a terrible, terrible mistake one time. Sometimes, when I do this, my wife says, hey, child, don't, don't, don't. And I'm picking the kid up, you know, and walking, and they're screaming and yelling, ha, 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 or Juddy's yelling, too scary, too scary. So I put him down, right? And there was this one time, and I'm terrified to confess this, and I don't even know why I'm doing it. I had no plans to, but I was sprinting with a stroller. I mean, I'm sprinting as fast as I can down the sidewalk, and my wife is terrified, and it's one of those moments in her head. She's saying, hey, chill, don't, don't, don't. And I hit a bump, and the stroller flipped end over end and landed. And it's not funny, bro. This is my child we're talking about here. (laughs) And landed and skidded to a stop, and I thought, I have destroyed everything. Like, there was this moment of abject terror. And I'm just saying my wife has never done any such thing, right? 
Um, some of it may be boneheaded, some of it may be dumb, but they, they say when you sign up to be a dad, you're also signing up to pretend you're a horse for an hour a day, right? I don't know what it is, but there's something about that aggression. There's something about that, that risk-taking. And, and I do it with my daughter as well as my sons that I think is somehow tied in. I can't prove that. It's just what's in my head. And I think, I think dads having fun with their kids are supremely important. I may or may not be right about that, but take it as it is. But the point of, of these studies is to show that dads are good. And... I appreciate what Kate said about John, that he's a good, good father and, and, and that she is loved by him and that's who she is. That, that somehow, you know, you saw the first thing on the list had to do with identity. It had to do with self-concept. And somehow a father being in the life and being connected and being present and a protector and a provider. Again, not to say ladies can't be those things, but there's something, there's something about a dad. And I think science shows it. I think our emotions show it. I think psychiatry shows it. Psychiatrists oftentimes will say, what's the issue? What's the problem? Tell me about what's going on. And then they're going to say what? Tell me about your relationship with your father. It's going to happen in, in, in psychiatric offices across the country every single day. There's something about a dad. So if you're being a dad, if you're being those things, especially if you're present, which is the final P we'll talk about, good job. Good job at life. You're winning. Being a dad is good. And like I talked about as, as far as, as on Mother's Day, is you're getting paid. Now, sometimes being a horse and letting your kids crawl on your backs and throwing them around might feel like a waste of time. There's, there's all kinds of times that I'm working on something or answering a text or writing something important. And my son will say, hey, can I show you this slime that I just made? And I'll say, just, just a little while, buddy. Give me some time. And I, as we'll explore here in just a moment, I want to be a guy that turns towards them and not towards something else thinking my priorities, well, thinking wrongly of my priorities. That one of the best investments you'll ever make in life is that of being a good father. And, and again, I know that doesn't tie into everybody, but it does tie into some. And we want to mourn with those who mourn. And I'm actually embarrassed that I put this as the first slide because I meant for it to mean something different because it looks like this lonely single guy. But... Uh, we, at Daylight Church, or at least for me personally, I can't speak for the whole church, I believe singleness is an incredible place to be. And so we, we, Jesus was single, Paul was single. Scripture seems to indicate that single is a superior place to be in life than married because married introduces all kinds of concerns that you don't have to have. And we'll talk about that in, in years in the future. Um, singleness is important. But, but as far as fatherhood is concerned, some people are single and they don't want to be. And so then when Father's Day comes around, so there's people who are single by choice and there's people who are single not by choice. And people who are single not by choice, Father's Day can be a mournful time. It can be a hard time of, of wondering why. I wanted children. It's so late in my life. Um, it's not looking good. The inability to have children can be one reason why people mourn on Father's Day. If there was a loss of a child or a father... This can be a sad day, so if you don't get to celebrate with dad, or if you were a dad and you're no longer a dad, or one of your children has passed, it can be a very hard day. And on Mother's Day, we do a really good job of mentioning that, but on Father's Day, we have that image of strength, and for some reason, it just at least as a pastor, it, it doesn't come to my mind quite as simply, and that's wrong. It's wrong to think that a, per, a, a father should just buck up and be strong. A, a father should feel. A father should feel what, he's, what he ought to feel and mourn appropriately, and so... We always want to encourage people to mourn appropriately. If you're estranged from a child or father, and, and more often, I haven't studied this out, but I have this, this feeling just from reading throughout my life that more often than not, uh, uh, what they would call a deadbeat dad is far more common than a deadbeat mom. 
Um, if, if, if a father has made choices that have separated him from his children, it can be a day of where he just has to, ah, I, I feel nothing, I feel nothing. And instead, that father ought to feel, and that father ought to explore those feelings. And so, but it can be a hard day. It, it, you can be estranged because you don't, in, in, reason, in ways that you don't want to be or for reasons that you don't want to be estranged. And it can be difficult to get through those days. And so men would have a tendency just to buck up and get past it, whereas my, my advice would be to feel it. Abortion affects men. We, we talked about abortion on Mother's Day, that, that there's, a lot of, there's statistically a significant amount of abortion regret out there for people who have had abortions. And for fathers, it's a, it's a little interest, more interesting slant, or not more interesting, but a different type of slant. Because oftentimes when it comes to abortion, the male would have absolutely no, no choice in the situation. And so there's, there's, there's many, many men out there who, have, who don't have a child, who wanted a child, but the child was aborted against their will. And so we, we, just, we just don't want to pretend everything is daisies and roses at Daylight Church. And we want to, we want to be honest that there, there are men who are hurting out there for many reasons. And that it's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel. And we want to recognize and say that we stand with you. You may have had bad parental experiences. You may have been a bad father. Uh, you may have done things as a father that you regret. And so when Father's Day comes around, you think, I don't deserve to be celebrated. You may have had bad experiences as, as a child. Your, your father may not have raised you the way that you would have preferred. Or, or like in my situation, it was like this mixed bag that you really don't know what to deal with, what to do with it. Uh, you may have awful experiences with your father. You may have middling experiences with your father. But there's a lot of people out there that the relationship with dad is a struggle. And so we just want to say that we mourn with you, that we recognize that this world is very jacked up, it's very messed up, and we're sorry. And that it's, it's okay that it's hard, and it's okay to feel those things and to dive into them. In the Psalms, the psalmist says this, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I have a friend who is starting a book on the concept of children and children in pain, and that, or, or children making bad decisions, or children suffering in some sense. And, and the idea being that when you're a father, those are the moments you want most desperately for your child to turn to you. If, you're, if your son or your daughter is being bullied at school, there's this hunger as a good father or as a good mother that you want your child to say, hey, mom, dad, I'm being bullied. Or if they're experimenting sexually or if they're experimenting, experimenting with, with substances, uh, you, those are the moments that they're, they're like make or break moments in a father-son or a father-daughter or a mother-son, mother-daughter relationship is how intimate are you in, in the moments of the fall? How, how intimate are you in the moments of darkness? And I think it holds true for all of us when it comes to God is that those are the moments that are make or break. Those are the moments that, so when we talk about God being a father, when you're feeling down, when you're, when you're saying she had an abortion, I didn't want her to, or I lost my child, or I'm estranged from so-and-so, or my dad never treated me right, you can kind of strengthen yourself or you can turn in your frailty, you can turn in your moments of sorrow and in your mourning towards one who legitimately, genuinely cares. And those are the make or break moments with, in your relationship with God. So we want to encourage you in here. If Father's Day hurts for some reason, it's okay that it hurts, but we'd encourage you to turn towards God during those moments and give your suffering to him and give your mourning to him and, and ask him what he wants you to do with it. Ask him where he wants you to go from here, and he will respond to you. Like we read in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will respond generously. If you don't know how to respond to these things, turn towards God and ask him, and he will show you. Scripture is replete with examples of God being recognized as the Father. In 1 Corinthians, it says there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist, from whom are all things and we exist for him. The prophet Isaiah calls out to God and says, O Lord, you are our Father. 
We are the clay, and you are potter. 1 John 1, 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so here's where, here's where it ties into there's many people in the room, and some are dads and some aren't, and some have their dads around and some don't, and some are single and some aren't. And, and does this sermon apply to everyone? Well, here, here's where we all kind of meet is that Scripture describes this God who is fatherly, who is dadly in some sense. And, and my understanding is in, in both. So, so in, in Scripture, when, it says, when Jesus says, Abba, Father, there's a lot of sermons out there that say that was Jesus saying daddy. It wasn't. It was just the Aramaic word for father and the only choice in Aramaic. And so when you study the, the Greek, when you study the Aramaic, they, they use the word father, and there kind of is no actual daddy equivalent. So when you read the scriptures, it's doing the best it can to describe this relationship with us, between us and God as father. And so what we're going to study about for the next just very few moments is we're going to ask three questions. We're going to say, what, is, what are dads like? Like good dads, dadly dads, not fathers, not, not people who had offspring, but dads who were actually involved in their children's life. Like what traits do they have? And then what does that tell us about God? And then what does that mean about us? Because the call of the Christian is to be like God. And so when we talk about being a follower of God or a follower of Jesus, it means being conformed to his image and becoming like him. So if we study what dads are, what a good dad is, because scripture has revealed God as a father, we learn a lot about the character of God. And when we learn a lot about the character of God, then we learn a lot about what our character is supposed to be shaped and to look like, what male or female of any gender, what is our character supposed to look like? And we learn that by asking this question, what are fathers like? Because God revealed himself as a father. And so that's going to look like a good dad is like, thus God is like, and thus we should be like. So we're calling it the fat peas of paternal practice, basically because I thought it was clever. <laughs> so fat is actually pat, it's an aspirated H in a, in a uh, Micronesian language in the Philippines. And I basically just said, I, I googled, are there any number fours that start with a P? That's what I was looking for, and it turned out to be fat, which I thought was pretty dang cool. And so we're talking about four Ps of paternal practice. What does it mean to be a dad? And so I started thinking about what a, what a good dad looks like, and I came up with this list. I said a, a longer list than this, but this was the first one, and it's a God... A good dad is a loving servant leader. He lays himself down and he cleans poopy diapers. And in doing that, I'm talking about posture. And so we can, we can posture ourselves as tyrants, as fathers. We can posture ourselves as the ruler of the home and, and maybe posture ourselves as the, uh, the God-given authority of the house. Or we can do what Jesus did as the God-given authority of all mankind and posture ourselves as kind of lowly when it comes to everyone else, is that their needs are superior to our needs, like Philippians 2 tells us. It says that we take the very nature of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, laid himself down to become nothing, to become a servant. And so a good dad is a servant, is a servant to mom, is a servant to the children, is a servant to good society. It's, it's a person who lays himself down and offers himself to others. And posturing has a lot to do with humility. As, as a good father... You have to be humble. You have to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know the direction I'm supposed to go. I don't know how to discipline appropriately. I don't know how to love appropriately. And yet we, get, we surpass those things and move towards them in humility, and then God uses us as broken people, as people who are poorly made. And when we study that, that good fathers are humble, then we start to learn something about the characteristic of God, who is a humble God. And, and you see it Throughout this called kenosis in the scriptures is this idea that this is a God who laid himself down, who when the diaper was dirty, he came in and cleaned it. 
when, when things went south, he came there to be a support. When you needed emotional encouragement, he came in. When you needed physical healing, he came in. He was a God who laid down his throne, laid down all the glory of the angels singing around him forever, and came down and became one of us and became part of us and laid himself down. And so then we say, what's a good dad like? He's humble. Well, what does that tell us about God? God is a humble God, which we know from the story already. Then what does that mean for us? Is that we are, as, no matter who you are in the room, father or not, this applies, is that you're supposed to be the person that cleans the poopy diapers, metaphorically. It means you're looking for the mess and you're looking, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I clean up? I'm going to fly through these others. Provision. I think a good dad cares about base needs, offers merciful wisdom and advice, and gives strategic freedom. Uh, I, think, I think it means, it's again, it's, you, as a father, you're looking out for what does your child need, and you're se- seeking to meet that need, and you're seeking to meet it in the healthiest possible ways. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you give them everything they want. In fact, that can ruin them. It means that you're looking for what they legitimately need, and you're trying to give it to them. In, uh, and you see, in, in all these pictures, you see a, a Jesus story behind it. So this is, the, this is a painting of Jesus multiplying the loaves and bread. When the people were hungry around him, he took a few fish and a few uh, loaves of bread and turned it into provision. We see that in the life of Jesus. And over and over, you see God as a God who provides, who meets needs, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Sorry, here we go. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Ephesians tells us that fathers are not supposed to exasperate their children, because the Bible knows what it's talking about. It says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm, I'm, this fits in so well. It's like, it's like the author knew dads. Like, I, you know, I can, I can, my son can say, they, they, they say punk, and I chase them around the house, and then I throw them on the couch, and we tickle. And at some point, the tickling probably gets to be too much. And a dad will keep going after that, right? Or we'll pick them up and throw them on the other couch or whatever and keep going and, you know, fist to the face and all that stuff. And not legitimately. but the author knew what he was talking about but it says bring them up in the instruction of the lord and so this is a type of provision it's not just it's it's not just meeting physical needs but a good father dives much deeper than that and meets emotional needs and spiritual needs and social needs and so forth and in seeing this we see what god is like we see that god is a provider He, he takes care of his children which means you don't have to worry you don't have to be anxious A good father would take a bullet for his child. He would fight for his child, and he will encourage his child. And this is the area of protection. In the story here, uh, a prostitute comes to Jesus and touches his feet, and all the religious folk around him are just, they just think this is the worst thing they've ever seen. Do you even know what kind of woman is touching your feet? And Jesus basically lets them have it. He says, what's wrong with you guys? He says, since I came in here, you didn't wash my feet. You gave me no kiss of greeting. All she's done when she comes in is, recognize me and stood up for her and you see you see him standing up for marginalized people over and over and so protection provision these things don't just mean putting a roof over a head it means i got you i got you whatever your needs are whatever your emotional needs are your so your social needs and so forth is i'm invested i'm involved and we find god is involved the psalmist says the lord is my rock my fortress my deliverer my God, my strength in whom I will trust, and, and, and other things. He says, my shield and the horn of my salvation. This is who God is. And the horn of my salvation, who's seen the, the two towers from Lord of the Rings, right? 
at the end of it, when they're, when they're fighting the, the epic battle at the castle, and then all of a sudden, a horn blows from out of nowhere. Because they're losing. Everything is going down. But this horn blows. And who's up on the mountain? Anybody know? Gandalf and? I didn't know that. Very good. But an army is what I was looking for. <laughs> can you say army and elvish? I'll bet you can. Um, I don't know who said that, so I'm not making fun of an individual. Ronnie. I would have assumed, right? So, so the horn blows and salvation comes. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. In battle, everything's going down, but the horn of my salvation is God. And that thing goes off and everything is taken care of. And we see this as a description of God. Is God's the one that shows up when everything else is falling apart. God is the one who's got your back. And so he is a protector. The Hebrew... The author of Hebrews says, God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is always there, always protecting. And then finally, and this is where I want to close, is that a good dad is around. He's reachable when he's not around. He's attentive, really, truly attentive. He notices his children. He cares about what's going on in their lives. He gives his attention to them. I have had the privilege of getting to know, and my thing is messing up here one moment. The psalmist says this, he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? It's in the insinuation is nowhere. There's nowhere you can go that God's not there. There's nowhere you can go that God doesn't see, doesn't answer, isn't, isn't involved. He's, he's never on his phone too busy to talk. That's one of the most amazing things about prayer is you just start the prayer and there he is. This infinite God that's so far out there. He's always present and that's what we learn. I've had the privilege of getting to know an author that I'm not allowed to share the name right now because I learned this story in a situation where he said, don't go telling these stories. Um, but he, he's, an, he's a Christian author you would recognize, and I was invited to his home for a weekend and sat down and just asked questions about life. Tell me stories is what I was looking for. And I took notes in my phone, and just for literally three or four hours, he just told these fascinating stories. And one of those stories was about meeting one of the presidents. And... He, this author was invited to speak in front of Congress, um, the joint, joint Congress, and he was speaking on drug addiction and kind of the rampant drug addiction among youth was, was the topic. And so he came in, and he was, he was about to start his speech when the president comes in with Secret Service. And the president, he didn't know was going to be there, so he was quite a bit more nervous once the president shows up because all of Congress is there. He's all, already a little nervous. But the president shows up and sits in the front row, and this author gives his speech about drug addiction and, and freedom for youth and teens and so forth. And afterwards, the president approaches him to shake his hand and, say, you know, and to have a conversation. Well, right as soon as the president and the Secret Service comes up, this author's son comes up behind him and starts tugging on his coattail. And this author has always had a policy is, my children come first, no matter what. If they need me, I'm there, even for trivial stuff. He may be asking for gumball money, I'm still giving him my attention. So this author said to the president, forgive me, Mr. President, but I, I always turn to my children when they want me. I'll, I'll be back in just a moment. And literally, physically turned his back on the president of the United States and squatted down to ask, you know, what was going on. And his son needed something pretty trivial. And he, he talked him through it and, and gave him what he needed and then stood back up and turned, and the president and Secret Service were gone, like ninjas, just gone, Right. And he thought, oh, no, I have insulted the president of the United States. I'm never going to be invited back to talk. And, and uh, he was really bothered by this, but he maintained his conviction that his children come first. Like 45 minutes later, 
or an hour later, he gets a, 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 a call on his cell phone. And of course, when you're the president, you can get anyone's cell phone number, right? And so it's the president of the United States, and he says to the author, he says, I just wanted to let you know that what you did with your son in there touched me so deeply. He said, I've been kind of on the outs with one of my children recently, and I went back to my limo, and we just had a, about a 45-minute conversation that was just really healthy and, and very good. And he said, I wanted to let you know that you inspired that. And that's the kind of presence that I'm talking about is that, that for a good father, the children are there. I mean, it's, it's, that's the goal. That's the priority in life. That's where you're getting paid. That's, that's where you invest your life. And God will honor that. And when we say that that's what a good father is, that's what we learn about God, and then it tells us what we're supposed to be like is we're supposed to be present, not just for our children, but present in people's lives, that we're supposed to be protectors, providers, and present in people's lives. And so I want to encourage us with my final thought that we're, we should all be sort of dadly. And I'm not talking about being fatherly as in having offspring. I'm talking about invested in people's lives. And I've, started, I've been very honest with you guys that my shower time is my quiet time in my life. And I'll take two to four showers a day depending on what I need to do and what's going on in my life. But nowadays what I'm trying to do when I'm in the shower is one, become centered, is center on God and say, here you are, here, I, here am I, what, what do we do? But the other thing I'm trying to do is now become centered on people, is trying to be present in people's lives and look for ways to provide and ways to protect. And so what I'm doing is I'm centering with God and saying, God, here we are. Now, who's on your mind today? Which of your children need your presence in their life? Which of your children need protection in their lives, need provision and so forth? What was the, what was the fourth P that I'm missing? You guys don't know because you weren't even on Posture, right. How do I need to posture myself at this meeting that I have this afternoon and so forth? And so one lesson we can learn on Father's Day, apart from dads are just really great and really important, that it's okay to mourn if you're a hurting dad and that you should really dive into that, is also that we're all called in some sense to carry these four Ps of, of protection and so forth, that we're supposed to invest our lives in the other people. So like the very first clip said, you lay down your dreams for someone else. That's what makes a man brave. And we're all supposed to do that to some extent because that's what God does is God comes in and he's attentive and he's a protector and a provider and he postures himself as our servants, even being the grand authority in the entire universe.